Let us pray. Heavenly Father, you have given to your church the gift of your Holy Spirit to enliven us, strengthen us, draw us nearer to you, and to reflect the image of your Son, Jesus Christ, in this world. May we be ever mindful of his presence in our life. May we learn and grow from him. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of our hearts be only acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. I, I knew um, it was roughly that, that time of year, but I had to look back through my email, and it was just about exactly four years ago that I talked to this man named Ben Lysak. Perhaps a few of you know him. <laughs> Most of you know him, of course. Um, and thus started that process of my call to this church. But this is not really a sermon about that process. It's about a conversation I had almost immediately after my first interview. And I had a Skype interview, which I don't know if you've had those. They're awful, by the way. Um, <laughs> ben agrees that, that they're awful on the other side as well. They're very awkward. But I had a Skype interview, and I'm like, well, I, I think it went okay. I don't, I don't really know. And then Ben called again, and we had another conversation. He said, hey, you should really come out. We want to interview you in person. And I was like, oh, I guess it went better than I thought. But that same week, another friend was like, hey, let's go get lunch. And this friend, his name is Father Gary, and he is a rector of another Anglican church in the area that I was living. But he was also the headmaster of a little classical school. And we sat down, and we had lunch, and Gary says to me, you know, would you consider applying to teach at the school? And if I hadn't talked to Ben within the last week, I would have said, absolutely, that's the most exciting thing that's happened in a long time. Because I had been subbing for them, and I loved it. And it was a lot of fun teaching these little kids. They were smart and funny and sometimes rambunctious. And, and sometimes, you know, I'd probably actually just have a full-blown white beard by now as opposed to a partially white beard. <laughs> but they were wonderful. But Gary was about a week too late. And so I sat there at lunch with him, and I thought, well, I'm not really telling anybody. And the, the church I was working for, the, the rector of that church, knew that I was interviewing. But he was like, well, please don't, don't tell anybody until this becomes a thing. I was like, well, do I tell Father Gary what's going on? I was like, all right, I'll, I'll ask him. Like, what would you do? Here's, here's the situation. I've started interviewing, et cetera, et cetera. And he's like, he looked at me, and he said, at some point, you need to put down roots. You need to put down roots and make a life somewhere because there's a part within us that is not created to continue to be saying, goodbye, it was nice to know you for two years or a year or three years, but to put down roots and live somewhere for a long time, to get to know people, to grow close to them. And that's what Christ did is he got to know them. And ultimately, he had to say goodbye. And saying goodbye, as, as you may or may not know, is a hard thing. It's very hard to say goodbye. And that's where our sermon, there are, our gospel reading today kind of lands us right dab smack in the middle of Jesus saying goodbye to his disciples. And it's sort of this combination of a sermon and like a goodbye banquet, if, if you're familiar with the context. If not, read the last several chapters of, of St. John's gospel and you'll, you'll find it quite helpful. But it's like right dab smack in this sort of sermon of, hey, 
I'm going to leave you all, and this is what your life is going to look like after I leave. And, and kind of a banquet of, of a celebration or, or of sorts. But that's where we meet Christ right in the middle of. But this saying goodbye has never really been a good thing, and it wasn't what the world was created to be. And we have to, we have to back up, and I know I make us back up to Genesis 1 through 3 a lot, but Genesis 1 through 3 is so important for our understanding of humanity, of the world, of the gospel. And so we have to back up there a lot. And we back up, and Adam and Eve were made to dwell with God. And they dwelt with him, remember? Like, we don't really get that until after the fall. But, they, but what happens is God goes in, and he's looking for Adam and Eve because he's ready to go for their afternoon walk, which is just a crazy imagery, what this actually looks like. But he goes and he looks for them and they're hiding in shame because they had done the one thing he said, don't do. He had done it. And that sort of kicks off the saying goodbye. It's after they had done that, that they no longer had those beautiful afternoon walks with God. They no longer got to dwell in the garden. They got sent out. They said goodbye for the first time. And we see these goodbyes throughout scripture. But then something interesting happens. The incarnation. When Christ comes into the world. So throughout scripture we see God sort of insert himself in places, right? You have Abraham and he actually has this really fascinating and intimate relationship with God. And then you have Jacob who wrestles with God, which is also pretty wild. And then you have the prophets who have the spirit of God who then are able to minister to Israel. And so there's these in injections of God into the world, but he's not really dwelling with the people as he longed to do until the incarnation. And then Christ comes into the world and he experiences every single thing that you and I have experienced. He experiences being a baby in the womb of an infant swaddled by a loving mother. He experiences being a child, a teenager, a young man trying to figure out the world. He experiences losing friends to death. He experiences a friend, a dear loved one, betraying him. And he experiences death. God incarnate experiences these things in the world. And for that brief moment, that 33 years or so in history, God is with humanity in a way that I don't know that we really grasp. And here we meet him tonight as he's saying goodbye to his friends. Saying goodbye, but telling them that there's hope. There's a new way that God is going to dwell with his people. And that is the giving of the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> we read today that we will get the helper. The Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, and he will teach you all things and bring you to remembrance. And this starts to unfold for us what the Holy Spirit does for his faithful people. First and foremost, he teaches. And there's lots of sort of theories about who does he teach. And some people are like, well, he teaches the apostles. And other people are like, well, no, no, he teaches by inspiring the writers of Scripture. And that's all that he does to teach. But I don't think that either of those are a fair understanding because we go, as we read through Acts, which I was doing earlier this week, 
and we come across this really fascinating story of Philip and the eunuch. And Philip was one of the first deacons. He was ordained a deacon, if you will, with St. Stephen, who was the first martyr. He was one of those seven that were chosen and appointed to care for the widows and the poor of, Israel, of Jerusalem. But he uses Philip, a deacon, to go out. And he finds this eunuch who's reading through Isaiah and totally baffled by it. He's like, well, what is going on here? And Philip's able to unfold it and say, hey, this is what's going on here. You're looking for Jesus. And he opens the door for the eunuch into the new covenant, into a covenant with God that in the old covenant he wasn't welcomed into because he was a eunuch. And so Philip, a deacon, teaches. Just as when you open the word of God, it teaches you as you read it. It unveils to you elements of who God is what he's doing in the world. It helps you to know him, and that's by the power of the Holy Spirit that that happens. I once was talking to a friend, and I sort of half-jokingly, but mostly seriously said, you know, the only reason that I have any effect, this is actually serious, is because of the Holy Spirit. It's not because I spent hours this week studying the passage. It's not because I prayed about it, although that's helpful. All of those things are helpful. It's not because I'm a great orator, as, as some of you might remind me from time to time. <laughs> it's because the Holy Spirit helps me know what to say, but then also helps you hear what I've said. And it's amazing how often somebody, my, I or one of my friends will be like, that, my sermon this past week was awful. And then somebody came up to me and was like, that was the best sermon you've ever preached. And we never really know why that is, except that it's the Holy Spirit who takes our imperfect words and teaches them to God's faithful people. But the Holy Spirit also reminds us, reminds us of God's truth. I had a professor, one of his favorite stories to tell, which I'm not sure why, maybe it humbled him, was about this, this fight that he got in with his wife. And it was like the worst fight when, he was, when they were fairly newly wed. And they just got, got going, you know, how, how fights happen. And he stormed out of the house. And I remember the detail in it that he was barefooted when he stormed out of the house. And he was like halfway down their road. And he remembered scriptures about how he was supposed to treat his wife. And he said that was the Holy Spirit working. The Holy Spirit helps us to remember these truths of God. The Holy Spirit brings them back to mind. Not only did it help the apostles through that turmoil of the, of the crucifixion, but it helps us through turmoil. Helps us to remember, to remember the truth of the word of God. And the Holy Spirit gives to us in abundance. Not not as the world or what the world gives to us. For the world gives to us turmoil, and the world gives to us skimpily. Have you ever had a friend where you, you ask them for a favor? And, you know, it's probably like a little favor, like, can you help me move that chair? And they're like, ah, oh, okay. <laughs> and they, you know, it's, it's like the biggest thing that's been asked of them ever. Or you're like, hey, can I borrow some money? And they're like, yeah, here's a dollar. When are you going to pay me back? <laughs> like, oh, thanks. I'll go buy a, a little bag of chips. <laughs> Maybe. I don't even know if a dollar can afford that anymore. But that is not how the Holy Spirit gives. I had, um, in North Carolina where I was before here, there was a family, and 
we got to know each other. He was about my age, and they had, I think, three little kids at that time. And I went over for dinner, and, and the father's like, hey, would you go get Father Ian a bowl of ice cream? And, you know, I'm used to, like, a scoop of ice cream. And they came back, and the bowl was just, like, full. <laughs> I think they gave me, like, half the carton of ice cream. <laughs> That's how the Holy Spirit gives. It's this abundance that we can't even imagine. And he gives us peace. But it's not just peace that he gives us. St. Paul writes to the Galatians that the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against these things there is no law, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires, If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. J.I. Packer wrote of living in the Spirit as follows. The Holy Spirit's main ministry is not to give thrills, but to create in us Christ-like character. The Holy Spirit isn't there as this sort of high that we might get, that that we might feel like, oh yes, this is amazing. But it's that we are being sanctified into the image of Christ in this world. I want to be a little careful with what I'm about to say, because you might hear emotions are bad, which is not what I'm saying. Emotions are good, and you should work on being in touch with what your emotions say, especially if you're a man, because we're not very good at that. But your emotions do not reflect what the Holy Spirit is doing in you. He might convict you and you might feel really uncomfortable. He might comfort you in the midst of turmoil. But if you got in a fight with your spouse on the way to church and you're in a miserable mood right now, the Holy Spirit's still here. If you got like a great news on the way to church and you feel really great, the Holy Spirit's still here. The Holy Spirit's activity within the church has little to do with your emotional experience while you're in church or while you're praying. It has a lot more to do with that slow and beautiful process of sanctification, the process of drawing us closer to Christ and helping us to reflect his image in the world. And so, so often there was this this event in the late 19th century, early 20th century, which is kind of known as the Second Great Awakening. The First Great Awakening was was marked by by piety, by beautiful, incredible preaching, which I wish I could preach half as well as some of those people, was, was marked by knowing Christ intimately and intellectually. The Second Great Awakening was this emotional event, and there, was, there were odd things like laughing in the Holy Spirit, and there's still these ramifications or boil downs of it, and you see them every now and again pop up on YouTube, at least if you're like me and you watch weird things on YouTube. But they're, they're chaotic. They're totally and utterly chaotic. And that's not the Holy Spirit working. The Holy Spirit is that thing that, does to, uh, that gives to us love and joy and peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These are the fruits that we want to look for when we look for the Holy Spirit acting in our lives. And Christ goes on from this to tell us, let not your hearts be troubled. We know 
that much can trouble us in this world. We know that there is much pain and much sorrow and much heartache. We know this often far, far too well. And Christ isn't saying here, don't worry about, he is saying that, but he isn't saying, don't, don't think that you're going to ever have no trouble whatsoever. He isn't saying that trouble's never going to cross your path, that you're never going to be through a storm. Remember the apostles went through a storm and Jesus is like taking a nap. They're like, what are we going to do? We're going to die, Jesus. And he's like, okay, and he calmed the storm. <laughs> he doesn't say you're not going to go through storms. But he does say, don't let your hearts be troubled by that. And I think it gets back to what the Holy Spirit does in us. He is creating in us these fruits, this love and joy and peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. And imagine if you grow even just a little bit in the next year in the Holy Spirit, that the next time you get bad news and you have a little more love, a little more joy, a little more peace, a little more patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control, what that bad news will do to you. Yes, you'll still cry, but you'll know that God is with you because you have the Holy Spirit. He resides in you and you in him. He is your comfort. And as the Holy Spirit leads us through these trials and these troubles and these pains, he also comforts us and brings us to a place where we can then say, it is well with my soul. It is well, for the Spirit has brought me back to that joy, back to the truth of Christ. Finally, Christ ends with this statement that's very important. He says to his disciples, the ruler of this world has no claim upon him, of course. Each and every one of us has been tested. Adam and Eve were tested and failed. Abraham was tested and failed. Moses was tested and failed. David was tested and failed. We have all failed and fallen short of the glory of Christ. But Christ was tested not once, not twice, but three times. And he never failed. Christ was perfect, and he was that innocent lamb led to slaughter. And in that, he frees us from sin, frees us from the bondage of sin, because he took our sin upon himself. Even in our imperfection, his perfection is sufficient for us. And in that, we get what St. Paul is talking about, that our flesh is to be crucified by the Spirit. In that, our flesh is crucified and we're freed from all those pains, those troubles. We're freed so that that fruit of the Spirit may come to its fullness. We are given the Holy Spirit, which we celebrate today on Pentecost, that we may be transformed into the likeness of Christ, day by day, step by step, slowly but steadily, until we abide in love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness, self, and self-control. And in that, we will reflect Christ in this world. 
In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost. Amen.